Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Getting closer to the weekend, Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming with you online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey on this Thursday. Hey, Dad has the day off. He has begun the hydrating process before um, going to a really hot football game on Saturday morning or something like that. We, uh, we're glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Their corporate headquarters are in North Mississippi and Senatobia, and they've got branch offices scattered all across North Mississippi. So if you've got land financing needs of any kind, check out their website. You can find a branch location near you, or you can give them a phone call. Talk to them about your needs and let them put together a plan that will help you. MSLandBank.com. That is Mississippi Land Bank. A bunch to get to. Another JUCO Thursday. And so Mike Frazier from JUCO Weekly will join us a little bit later this afternoon. We'll preview the week three games in the junior college ranks. We also have got Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Lee coming off a, a really good week. After a little bit of a slow start to the season, they had a, a huge week last weekend. And let's see, went, oh, let's see. Two biggest blowouts in college football. One of their biggest NFL plays of the year. They had Oregon 77-6 over Nevada and Baltimore 59-10 over his hometown Miami Dolphins. And um, be interested to see what he's got to say. We'll talk with him about uh, Southern Miss's game against Troy, about one of the SEC matchups, Florida and Kentucky, also the Alabama-South Carolina game. We'll get what he thinks about Mississippi State and Kansas State and also a little flavor from the NFL. That's all coming up later this afternoon with Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Borky, what's up on a Thursday? Oh, just getting ready for the weekend. I have somehow or or for some reason watched a a bunch of football games like I'm some kind of film analyst or something. I'm off to a good start in picks, and that's really why I'm doing this. inexplicably good like I tell people on Twitter to fade me and they're actually losing money doing that uh, which is out of character for me so I'm taking it a little bit more seriously and I've wasted a lot of time watching football games that none of you care about and so I've I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but my picks should be better well maybe I need to hand off the uh, Pearl River Resort pick of the day to you for a uh, a short period of time and see if you can stay hot cuz I've hit a a bit of a cold streak on those. Well, you'll get it back tonight because the Panthers are a mortal lock, aren't they? That's what they want you to think. just when you say that. Yeah, that's what they want you to think. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty big line for the NFL. I mean 7 points is not small in that league. Cam didn't actually look 100% last week. Uh, they still aren't very good at wide receiver there. But, I mean, Jameis is bad. The Bucks are bad. This game seems obvious. Better fade Borky. <laughs> hey, hey, fade Borky has not worked so far this year. I'm looking at, I pulled up my app here. I'm 8-5-1. 
so far on the college football season, and that includes that BS backdoor cover that Jimbo Fisher orchestrated. So I should be 9-4 and four, and then 1 uh, so far this season. Not terrible. Bucks and Panthers tonight on NFL Network kicks off at 7-20. Um, both of them 0-1 so far. Carolina's a 7-point favorite. The total in that game is 49. Looking ahead to the weekend, Niners at Bengals. Niners are sitting at 1-0. Uh, you get the Chargers at the Lions. The Lions, well, they mess everything up, right? I mean, for, for the rest of the season, the standings are messed up because the Lions and the Cardinals are 0-0-1. So, uh, Chargers uh, At least at neither the one Lions. will threaten to make the playoffs, though. It's not like that one tie will affect the wild card race. I mean, I know you get the whole West Coast team coming East, but is it a little crazy that the uh, Chargers are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game? Where? In Detroit. The Lions aren't awful. They're not good. They're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, they had a uh, two-and-a-half touchdown lead in the, what, fourth quarter? Yeah, it's 24 to 24-6 at, I think, would Like they, the 12-minute mark or something? Yeah, they had, had like a 99.8% win probability with like seven minutes to go. They didn't win. Colts are in Nashville where the Titans are a three-point favorite over Indianapolis. Titans looked really good in the opener. Uh, Marcus Mariota threw three touchdown passes. A.J. Brown had 100 yards receiving in that game. Patriots are at the Dolphins. How about the number on this game? After the Dolphins got beat 59-10, or 56-10, last week by Baltimore, the Patriots are an 18-and-a-half-point favorite in Miami. That's got to be up there with the biggest NFL lines of all time. So you, you almost never see a line like that. That's crazy. Bills are at the Giants, where Buffalo is a favorite. Come from behind win for the Bills against the Jets last week. Seahawks are at the Steelers. The Seahawks have been terrible as week two um, teams against the spread over the last handful of years in the month of September. Or, well, I mean, obviously week two is in the month of September. Usually is. Cowboys are at the Redskins. Cardinals are at the Ravens. Baltimore a big favorite again. 13-point favorite at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Jaguars are at the Texans. That's a fairly big line as well, with Houston an 8.5-point favorite. Chiefs are at the Raiders, and Kansas City is only a 7-point favorite against Oakland. Do you see what the Chiefs kickers were doing today, by the way? little crossover action? No, what did I miss? Uh, they went to the Royal Stadium and were practicing kicking on their infield. Because oh, they're really? going to have to do that Sunday in Oakland. Makes sense. I mean, you could have found a dirt pile anywhere, but yeah, it makes for a better photo op if you're doing it in a baseball stadium. Oh yeah, you got to do everything for internet points nowadays. Uh, Bears and Broncos, couple of zero and one teams in Denver. Chicago's a favorite there. The Saints are at the Rams. The Rams a two point favorite over the Saints. That is the Fox game at three twenty five on Sunday afternoon. Eagles Eagles Falcons the Sunday night game with the uh, Eagles a favorite in Atlanta, and then Monday night football probably not going to uh, have the. Uh, same level of enthusiasm that you had for Texans-Saints this past Monday night. The Browns at the Jets, where Cleveland is a six-point favorite. So that's what's happening this week in the uh, NFL. A bunch of big lines in the NFL, uh, especially considering what Borky was pointing out 
just a minute ago, or excuse me, what Rippy was pointing out a minute ago, and that you don't see those big numbers in the NFL. I mean, a touchdown is a big number in NFL circles the majority of the time. So we'll see how the uh, the weekend plays out. A bunch to get to with you um, this afternoon, and we're going to talk some NFL stuff. Sam Darnold is out for the next few weeks, most likely. He has mono. That's what people used to call the kissing disease. You would bump into somebody with that when you were in high school or whatever. But it, I mean, just draining. I've never had mono, but have known people that do. And that's the kind of thing that can make you sick for a couple of weeks. Wasn't there a college player in Mississippi that had mono a year or two last year? Is there somebody for Ole Miss that had mono last season? It was a couple years ago, because I remember upon first reference, I used to have to type out the entire name of the disease. Mononucleosis? Yeah, hard to spell. That's a tough one. I don't know if I'd pick that or Olenicek is the toughest. Olenicek, far more difficult than mononucleosis. Took me a year and a half. Um, Could we potentially have a revenge game in Week 2? Is that such a thing, with the Saints going to the Rams? Feels like it would be more of a revenge game if that game was in New Orleans. Or in the playoffs. Well, certainly in the playoffs, and that's something that we could potentially see in the uh, playoffs this year as well. Bad news for Jonathan Abram, the former Mississippi State player, who had uh, really had a nice preseason, nice camp, and was going to be a big part of what the Raiders do defensively this year. Uh, he is likely out for the year. Uh, we'll tell you more about his injury coming up as well. Plus, kind of a college connection to the NFL. Most players at each position from colleges. I want you to think on this before I give you the answer in a little while and tell me if you can come up with the college football team that has the most quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't know if that's easy or if that's one of those where you think and think and think and you don't come up with it and then you get the answer and you go, oh, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense. And then there's a little bit of a stumbling block in there also when you're actually thinking about where people finished up playing college ball and where they are in the NFL. The state of Texas has done a nice job putting quarterbacks in the NFL. A third of the NFL starters, or a third of the NFL quarterbacks, come from the state of Texas, but there's a but in there. A bunch with you this afternoon. Just getting started. Seaspire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Seaspire, customer inspired. We're back after this with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So Sam Darnold is out for at least a week, but likely more after... Do you catch mono? I, I, I guess that's the way to contracting mono. New York Jets quarterback Sam Darnold sidelined indefinitely after being diagnosed with mononucleosis, according to Adam Gase, the head coach. Trevor Simeon will start the Monday night game against the Cleveland Browns. The Jets, who lost starting wide receiver Quincy Inouye to a season-ending neck injury this past week, could be without Darnold for multiple weeks. Adam Gase says, looks like it. Good thing we've got an early bye week. The bye week for the Jets is in week four, 
following a road game against the Patriots. So the uh, the home game against Cleveland on Monday night, then a road game against the Patriots, and then an open date. So most likely return would be in Week 5 against Philadelphia. Running back Le'Veon Bell is having an MRI today to evaluate shoulder uh, I can't talk shoulder soreness. Adam Gay says we don't think it's anything worse than just soreness. We're trying to be a little extra cautious. Darnold received his diagnosis on Wednesday night, but it was not delivered to him by a doctor. Adam Gase, the head coach, decided that he should deliver the bad news. He knew something was up when offensive coordinator Dow Logans and a trainer and I showed up at his apartment. I wanted to make sure the news was delivered myself. I figured I could be the bearer of bad news on this one. There's some people that were, I don't know that high on the Jets was the right way to describe it, but thought that the Jets had a chance to be better this year. Does this make a difference other than the fact that there's only a finite number of starting quarterbacks in the NFL and Sam Darnold is a young one and a pretty good one? Maybe. Borky? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's almost like their season's kind of over, right? I mean, you can't be without your starting quarterback for up to four weeks, and they do have a bye in week four, I believe. But yeah. you can't really be without... more than one game for this, though? Dude, it's, it's crazy. So I, I had a, a health scare and that thought it was mono for a while. This was when I was in high school, and of course that's what my parents thought because that's what they do. Uh, I lost 25 pounds in about two weeks, and I could do nothing but sleep. 25? 25 pounds in two weeks because I was working out hard every day. I was in really good like physical football shape. But it was in the spring, so I didn't miss any football time. What are uh, you benching? <laughs> I don't remember, man. It's like 10 years ago. Um, I was in the 750 club, though. I mean, I was big. But... Um, what is the 750 club? Your squat and bench combined be to uh, total 750 pounds. Come on now. Why is that surprising? So we're, what were you squatting like 500 pounds? No, like 450 probably. And benching 300? Yeah. Come on, Borky. Richard, I was Nobody too- believes that. I'm messing with you. Yeah, I was, you had a 300 pound bench press in high school, dude. I was I was big. I, I was the size of a linebacker. I just couldn't run or move or tackle like one. It would have been one thing if I tried to sell that, but anyway. Have you ever bench pressed a day in your life? Yeah, Rippy? junior high football. It was sick. Okay. Coaches on both sides. What was your What was your 15 pound plates? So what was your bench max? <laughs> it may have hit triple digits. I don't remember. Think you got it to 100 pounds? I could so, so, probably do 100. So a 45-pound bar with 25-pound plates on both sides put puts you at 95 pounds. You think you ever got north of that? Probably, but not much. I don't I don't know. I was in seventh grade. I was mostly trying to get out of the reps and make sure the coaches weren't watching. Did you ever did you ever get under a squat like in a squat rack and actually squat? I wasn't as bad as squat because I didn't have very far to go. What's the most you think you ever squatted? I don't know. I was in the 750 club for a while. 
750 ounces? It wasn't much. Borky, what was your point? I really don't want to turn this into what my maxes were when I was 13. You're the one that asked Borky what he benched. Big guy. How much do you weigh? I weigh 140 pounds. What did you weigh in seventh grade? <laughs> you want to talk about maybe not hitting triple digits. That may that may be the real question. Mm. Richard and Wiggins wants to know how much you deadlifted, Borky. Oh, I don't remember deadlift. It, we didn't do deadlifts much. It was more just um, like power cleans and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, we never def- deadlifted because our strength coach thought it was going to hurt our whatever. Um, God knows if it was actually true or not, but that's what Scotty he thought. Scotty and Ponatok wants to know if you're on roids. <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, maybe the way I talk or whatever, people, I, I'm not a small guy. I'm not a big guy either, but I, I was, I, I say I'm 6'2". I'm probably not fully 6'2", but I was 235 playing middle linebacker in high school. There were college coaches that were, were coming to recruit other people and, and would look at me and think, hey, what's his story? And, well, he can't run or move laterally very well. Like, I, I physically looked the part, just I couldn't play the part, if that makes sense. Uh, now I just kind of look like a flabby dad. But back then I was I was in good shape. Um, anyway, so I lost. Richard and Wiggins, by the way, wants us to know about his weightlifting. He says that when he was 185 pounds in high school, he benched 295. And that he repped 325 eight times after a workout when he was uh, in his mid-30s. Here we go. I knew it was coming. Stan and Ripley says, Cross, what did you lift is the question. Not very much. (laughs) I'm going to say that my bench max in high school was... I might have gotten to 225 somewhere along the way. Because 225 is two plates on each side, right? Right. 90 and 90s, 180 and 45, 225. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to say more like 205. The squat was more. It was 350-ish. But I was never a workout guy. Ever. Wasn't, am not, all the above. Anyway. Okay, Borky, sorry. We have completely (laughs) derailed whatever point it is you were trying to make. But no, here fine. we go. That was probably better content than what oh, I was yeah. going to say. David anyway. in Indianola wants to know why it is that you lost 25 pounds in two weeks. Well, that's the thing. Uh, they actually ultimately could not figure it out. So they first thought I had mono. and Because all I was doing was sleeping and not doing anything. But then... Um, you know, the other thing we've got to remember... I'm sorry to keep interrupting. This is a good point by Richard. You did finish second in the All-Valley Karate Tournament to Danielson. <laughs> Carry on. Oh, man. I still haven't seen it. I'm holding out. But, um, so they thought I had mono because all I was doing was sleeping and completely inactive, and and that were all the symptoms. But then all my lymph nodes became rock hard, and I started throwing up and stuff. And I went to all these diagnostic doctors, and they tested me for cat scratch fever, which is more than just a Ted Nugent song. That is a real disease. I think ultimately, including a couple of cancers, I got tested for like 30 different diseases and they could never figure out what was wrong with me. Ended up going away a few weeks into it, but 25 pounds in two weeks and they thought I had mono. Mm -hmm. So that is how serious mono is. If, If you get a real case of it, it'll knock you out and you'll lose weight and you'll do nothing but sleep and you can't be around anybody for a long time. Like weeks on end. 
Weight loss and extreme fatigue are the most common symptoms with mononucleosis, which has been known to last multiple months in some cases. This whole thing came about because Sam Darnold expressed concern about recent weight loss. He dropped five pounds, not 25, but five pounds. The Jets are sending meals to Darnold's apartment because the team wants him to stay away from the facility due to the possibility of spreading the disease. Sam Darnold threw for only 175 yards in the season opener, but according to Gase, was um, not ill on Sunday. Might have just told people he was. They could win a game or two with Trevor Simeon, though. He's probably middle to upper tier backup. Signed as a free agent in the offseason, 13-11 and 11 as a starter. Has not played a game since the 2017 season with the Broncos. Last year he was with Minnesota but did not see any game action as Kirk Cousins' backup. Simeon says, I've played in the league, so I guess there's a sense that I've been there and I've done it a little bit. It's been a while. I'm chomping at the bit. So he is excited about that. Luke Falk, the former quarterback at Washington State, will be elevated from the practice squad to the number two quarterback. So Washington State's now got a couple of quarterbacks in the league, including Gardner Minshew, who is going to start for Jacksonville on Sunday in Houston. You look like you're thinking hard, Rippy. I was thinking if they had a third, but I don't think I think that's it. Falk and Minshew. At least that I know of. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with uh, with you. What was your benchmark? You can send it to us <laughs> on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. We're back after this with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. From The Onion on Twitter, Sam Darnold's mono-diagnosis forces Jets to crack down on kissing and huddle. <laughs> Sometimes the jokes just write themselves. I'm surprised there weren't more like Tom Brady jokes. Uh, good to be with you. 601-879-4395 is the number for the C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. Dan in Charleston says Pete Maravich once missed most of an NBA season due to mono. Um... There are a couple of others. Let's see. Uh, Cody is uh, now social media stalking you, Borky. He says he just looked up a photo of you. He was totally expecting a dark hair husky kind of guy, but was thrown for a loop. And nice job marrying up. Well, I appreciate that. I, I didn't realize I sounded husky. I kind of am, though, right? I mean, it's not like I have abs or anything anymore. Did you wear husky size jeans as a kid? Oh, yeah. I was always. See. In middle school, middle school kids are ruthless. Like, I'm about to bring his son into this world, and I'm terrified for him because I went through it. The last name Borky leads to a lot of uh, puns if you're slightly overweight. And uh, awkward sixth and seventh grade me was a little bit chubby. And so I was Porky for a few years until I kind of grew into it. My poor kid. You want some parenting advice from the 24-year-old who could barely take care of himself with no kids? Bring it. Don't dress your kid in jorts. My mom did that, and I still haven't forgiven her. I have a lot of younger photos of me in jorts, and it's a rough look. It is a rough look. Like colored jorts or just like regular just blue jean color? very straight out of Gainesville jorts. And I think they had some elastic in them. It was a tough look. <laughs> you wore elastic jorts? Yeah, no, we're talking four or five years old, but it's still just the principle. I just I, I couldn't believe it. Wait, so how old were you? At, at what year were you five years old? 
right after four. Two thousand ish. Two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. You were five years old in the year two thousand, and your mom dressed you in jorts. Yeah. Wonder if she's listening. Um, if she is, that was tough, mom. Yeah, you're lucky I wasn't taken from your custody or something. That's just a diabolical move. I was running around in jorts, just and I was too young to know. I was just rolling around thinking I had some great pants on. <laughs> Elastic jorts. Yeah. It was a, beautiful. It was a rough time. But, uh, speaking of issues, what did you do to Nathan in Lee County? We're best friends. Clearly, you're not. He has been eviscerating you on the ceasefire text line, and this is not a new thing. Now, I missed some of the. So, from late August, is Rippy that incoherent? I don't even know what that was about. He says, everybody who's followed college football the two decades should know Alabama's fight song. Makes me ashamed he's an old Miss guy. The Rebel Report, that's your podcast, lost a little credibility because you didn't know Alabama's fight song. I guess we'll cancel tomorrow's show. Uh, and then he's followed it up with, um, the more I listen to the Rebel Report, the more I wish that you guys would hire a competent journalist to work the beat. The red and blue glasses wearing... Uh, somebody else that covers Ole Miss is better than what y'all have now, and that's saying a lot. The 9-11 podcast was horrible among the rest of the others I've listened to. Cussing, ignorant statements, and on and on. I think we all know my shtick is definitely pro-spin of Ole Miss. I am always just super positive of Ole Miss. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've been meaning I to tell you, you to tone it down. David. Yeah, I know. It's just oozing red and blue. I appreciate you listening, though, Nathan. He says he listens to every Ole Miss podcast, and if you're interested in labeling him as a tough guy versus an objective listener, that's on you, and parting him for being honest, and the truth hurts sometimes. you left out he hit me with a pretty sick hashtag. It says, hashtag truth hurts sometimes. That's true. Um, So thank you for listening, Nathan. I don't know if that tattoo across your forehead that says, I don't get it in block letters will ever wear off, but it's a pretty solid look. Somebody wants to know what the heck jorts are. Jean shorts. How do you not know what jorts are? Jean shorts. It's exactly what they are. Number one staple of Florida Gator fans, or at least that's the uh, that's the uh, apparently it was a staple of my childhood too. The shtick. So you missed an opportunity to be a Gator. I guess I'd have blue and orange glasses. Wonder if you if you were if you had ended up going to the University of Florida instead of. Staying in state and going to Ole Miss, you think you'd still wear jorts today? Or you think you would have transitioned out of them somewhere along the way? I don't know. I don't remember what it's consciously like to wear them. You should get online and see if you can order a pair of jorts. Is there any way we can turn this into a fundraiser? Dude, like you've worn some. You know you've worn some. Ironically, but you can't tell me you didn't cut a pair of Goodwill jeans to to wear jorts at a field party when you were in college. There's no way you didn't do that. I actually did not, Borky. There's I, no I, way I, you didn't do that. Everybody I did that. I know that's surprising. I usually wore I gym not. shorts, and then I lost a bet when I was a freshman and wore a Speedo. Oh, wow. So, George was really just a tame <laughs> move after that. So, no, I don't know. If, Wait. if, if someone <laughs> wants to get me a pair of George, I'll wear it for some kind of good cause. I don't you, know. You wore a Speedo to a field party in college? Yeah, I'll send you a picture. Oh, tough. God. All right. You may um, not want me to have that. Borky, so I sent you this message a little while ago, uh, earlier this afternoon. 
Uh, it's courtesy of Gil Brandt, who has been in the NFL covering it and is a front office guy forever. He tweeted this, Colleges with most players on opening day active NFL rosters by position. A little wordy, but basically taking positions, position groups from the NFL, and looking at what position group has the most players from a given school. For example, by the way, this is a list that is dominated by Alabama. Four position groups in the NFL have more players from Alabama than any other school in the country. At running back, there are six former Alabama football players who are NFL running backs. Can you name them? Mark Henry, Josh Jacobs. Derrick Henry. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry. Sorry, I, I get two two points for that. Is Trent Richardson still in the league at all? I think he's somewhere. That would be a fourth. I'll have to think on that a little bit. Yeldon. Who? Oh, TJ Yeldon. Good point. And then... Was there another one besides Jacobs that was drafted last year? Anyway. Clemson with eight wide receivers. Tie for five at offensive tackle. Five from Florida and five from Oklahoma. So how about ten of what, the 60 offensive tackles in the NFL? Well, I don't guess this is starters. Defensive back. So you remember the uh, whole debate last week between LSU and Texas about who is DBU? Well, Alabama's got 13 defensive backs in the NFL right now. Alabama has 10 linebackers in the NFL. Six defensive tackles. Miami has seven defensive ends. Tight end is led by Stanford. They've got five of them in the league right now. Very on brand. And so that leaves the quarterback position. Have you seen this chart, Rippy? I did. I saw this earlier. Okay, so you Some seen of it. it was surprising, but most of it, particularly linebacker, was not. No, no, not not surprising at all when you look at the number of Alabama guys all over the place. So what school has put the most quarterbacks in the NFL or has the most quarterbacks in the NFL currently? This one's been known for a while. But do people talk about it? Somewhat. NC State? NC State is the team. And NC State fans were none too pleased with only being credited with four NFL quarterbacks. Russell Wilson played his last year of college football at the University of Wisconsin, and so the NFL recognizes him as a former Wisconsin Badger, not as a former member of the NC State Wolfpack. You got Jacoby Brissett. Now, there wa- there actually was, by the way, somebody that brought to the light, well, you get credit for Jacoby Brissett, would you rather Florida get credit for him? Anyway. So who the, the four NC State quarterbacks in the league, Phillip Rivers has been there forever, Ryan Finley, the rookie in New York, why can I not come up? No, she's from Duke. Duke. Daniel Jones. Uh, Mike Glennon. Is Mike Glennon. One. And then kind of Russell Wilson because he was there for most of it. No, but he would be the fifth. So there are four that are there. So Rivers, Finley, Glennon, and 
goodness, I lost it, Borky. Why can I not think of the fourth? I'll come up with a name for you. Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby yeah. Brissett. Sorry, I just mentioned his name a second ago. There was a week last year where they had three starters when Brissett, or a couple of years ago when Brissett was starting and Glennon was starting. I guess for the Bears when they signed into that huge deal. Yeah. So how about that? More NC State quarterbacks in the NFL than any other school in the country. Philip Rivers, Mike Glennon, Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Finley, and then put an asterisk next to Russell Wilson's name. Interesting stuff. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. You remember a couple of years ago, uh, good grief, Borky, it's probably been three or four years now, we did the... We did the show from the Mighty Mississippi Music Festival. It was either a Thursday, I think it was a Thursday afternoon leading into the Friday. It was uh, Steve Azar's big music festival. And Chris Stapleton was the headliner. And like two weeks later, he won Musician of the Year or Newcomer of the Year and kind of hasn't checked up since then. You remember that? I do remember that. I wasn't there with you, but I do remember you being there. Wasn't it really like uncharacteristically cold that day too? And the wind was blowing off the river. Yes. It, yep. Because the wind was blowing off the river, and you were you weren't miserable. You were happy to be there and all that stuff. But the weather was miserable that day because of it. I remember this. Yeah, but it was sunny and it was nice. I mean, it was like what it's supposed to feel like in the fall, right? Which calling right now the fall would be a uh, a bad idea decidedly not Rip, yeah. you really just showed me a picture of yourself in a construction worker's vest and a pseudo speedo i wasn't lying it's not actually a speedo though nope but that thing will pop in your head when you lay your head to sleep tonight <laughs> especially that dude that had his arm around you it was uh I don't remember what the bet was, but I was uh, I was close to flaking on it, but I went through. So you you went and bought someone? No, there was whitey tidies instead. No, no, the deal, so they had to get it. All I did was put it on. Someone had to buy it for me. That was the deal, even if I lost. I don't. I wish I could remember what. Why it was. the construction vest? That's a great question. It looked like you had a tattoo, like a fake tattoo on your arm or something. Yeah, I mean, it was like an outside field party. It was kind of on brand. No, walking around in whitey tidies with a bunch of other dudes is not really on brand. I was, it, was, it was not a bunch of dudes in whitey tidies. I was the, there was a single one, and it was me. <laughs> you were the only one. Not the greatest, yeah. You were the only one. I want to say it was fantasy Did you have a date football. to the party? No, there was no date. Hmm. It's fascinating stuff. Hey, Borky, you know what else I did during the break? Uh, what else did you do during the break? I went on the old uh, www.amazon.com, and I ordered our good friend Brian Scott Rippey a pair of <laughs> Wrangler jorts. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, how do you talk him into wearing them? Yeah, I don't know. I, the fact that I bought them is going to justify him wearing them at least 
in part. The Pringles thing was towards the Radiothon, but that's too far off, right? Oh, yeah, that's your payoff for the Pringle, losing the Pringles bet. We don't have any charity events that we know of coming up for a while, unless you want to contribute to the uh, Michael Borky Needs Money for a Baby Fund, and in that case, my Venmo's open. But we don't have any charity event uh, coming, so maybe it just needs to be more like a bet. Jonathan Abram is out for the year with a shoulder injury. The Oakland Raiders rookie safety out of Mississippi State, who is the 27th overall pick in the draft, undergoing shoulder surgery and is expected to miss the remainder of the season, according to John Gruden yesterday. Abram is being placed on injured reserve. The Raiders really, really liked Jonathan Abram. You know, you've got guys that get drafted late in the first round, and you go, well, sometimes you you find a guy that you're like, man, if he's still there, we're absolutely taking him. And that's kind of what Jonathan Abram was. He rose up a bunch of draft boards. He impressed at the combine. He impressed in his workouts and was in a really good spot and was super excited about this season. Gruden said, quote, big blow to our team. No question it's a big loss. We'll consider this a redshirt year for him. Yeah, this news sucks because his personality was coming out on hard knocks. You know, he was poised, at least you would thought, for a big year. This is a bummer. Here's the other thing. And and to kind of give you a little bit of insight into who Jonathan Abram is as a player, he hurt his shoulder during the game but didn't play. Derek Carr, quarterback for the Raiders, for him to go out there and hurt it when he did and continued to play, he said, yeah, I'll just start hitting people with my other shoulder. And that right there shows you what kind of man he is. He's a grown man, he's a Raider, and he's our Raider. And I'll make sure that he's still part of this. He feels a part of it. Abram was actually flagged twice in the game, once for illegal contact, another time for lowering his helmet to initiate contact. On the second penalty, he also accidentally kicked a teammate in the top of the play, or in the top of the helmet. And that was a scary moment. It was uh, Gary on Conley, and that's when Conley actually had to be strapped to the stretcher and carted off the field. And a scary moment in the game. But Jonathan Abram, in a lot of ways, feels like kind of a throwback NFL player. I'm not going to go crazy and make a Ronnie Lott comparison because you're talking about one of the greatest hitters from the safety position ever. And it's obviously a different NFL, but that's kind of the mentality that Jonathan Abram seems to play with. We'll hope that he comes back fully healed and ready to go from this shoulder injury. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, hour number two. Glad to have you along on this Thursday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian Haydad is off today. Sports Talk is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs and you're a farmer in North Mississippi, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They want to be your partner. They want to work with you. They want to make like life easier. If you've got equipment needs, need a production loan, need to refinance an existing loan, or maybe you're buying new property to enlarge the size of the farm, give Mississippi Land Bank a call, or better yet, stop by one of their branch locations scattered across North Mississippi. Talk to them about your needs. They understand kind of the way your business works because they've been financing and refinancing land for over 150 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. 
You can be a part of the show this afternoon on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us. Coming off a big week a week ago and excited about the plays that he's got coming up this weekend. We'll talk to him about what is kind of a ho-hum week in college football, but uh, maybe from a handicapping standpoint, not so much. What about this story yesterday out of horse racing? I realize that we generally talk about horse racing, excuse me, horse racing once a year. A few years back, we talked about it a little bit more than that because you had a triple crown winner. But basically, we talk about horse racing on the Friday before the Kentucky Derby. This is a story, though, that grabbed the headlines yesterday. Justify, who went on to win the Triple Crown a year ago in 2018, failed a drug test one month before the Kentucky Derby. And the California Horse Racing Board had decided to dismiss the case after the Colt went on to win the Triple Crown, according to a New York Times report. According to the story, Justify testified, uh, tested positive for scopolamine after winning the Santa Anita Derby and qualifying for the Kentucky Derby in the process. That was on April 7th, 2018. Scopolamine is a banned substance that can enhance performance, according, again, to the story of the New York Times. Such a result should have resulted in disqualification purse forfeiture, and the removal of his Kentucky Derby entry. However, California regulators waited until April 26th, nine days before the Kentucky Derby, to inform Bob Baffert, who is the Hall of Fame trainer for Justify. So what did Bob Baffert do? He requested a second sample be tested by an independent lab. Well, that second sample confirmed the results on May the 8th, three days after Justify had won the Kentucky Derby. This is where things get interesting. The racing board then diverted from its normal course of action, The New York Times cited emails and internal memos that it obtained. Rather than filing a complaint and holding a hearing, nothing happened until August 23rd, four months after the failed tests, and two months after Justify had completed his Triple Crown run by winning the Belmont Stakes. First it was the Kentucky Derby, then the Preakness, and then the Belmont Stakes. The board's executive director, Rick Vatiker, took the unprecedented path of presenting the case directly to the board's commissioners, who voted unanimously to drop the case. The board reportedly decided that the test results could have come from Justify eating contaminated food. However, the Kentucky Racehorsing Commission's former drug lab chief, Rick Sams, told the Times that the amount of scopolamine in Justify's system suggested it has to come from intentional intervention. 
Additionally, the California board's medical director said of scopolamine in 2016 that the chance of getting a positive from environmental uh, contamination is rather low. Scopolamine can help clear a horse's airway, optimize its heart rate to make it more efficient, according to Sam's. Are you even remotely surprised that there is a doping scandal in horse racing? If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's what an old high school coach used to tell me. Yeah, we just need the horse to go before Congress and wag its hoof and say it never took any substances. <laughs> I do love the contaminated food defense. Like, do you really think anybody's that stupid? Those horses are treated like and fed like kings. They don't accidentally ingest anything. It's the same thing that the Clemson, the, the Clemson players. Oh, well... Uh, they could have eaten something at our training table that showed up positive for Osterine. Like, are you kidding me? You guys don't put anything at your training table that they can eat that has Osterine in it. Like, nobody is that stupid to believe you. But maybe they are, because I still get phone calls every day from scammers saying that they need my social security number now or else the IRS is going to come arrest me. And so if maybe do, people are dumb enough to fall for stuff like that because they wouldn't do it if they weren't, right? An attorney who represents Bob Baffert wrote a letter to the New York Times challenging its reporting. Craig Robertson III wrote that Justify was not intentionally given scopolamine and that the horse passed any drug testing at the sites of the Triple Crown races. The thing is he shouldn't that, have been in it. That That's the whole point of this is... Oh yeah, testing positive then should have disqualified him for all of the races. So they, they use that as their anecdote. Well, he didn't fail any of the tests, and they re- released a statement today, kind of using that as their one of their defenses. Is oh, he didn't test positive for anything during the Triple Crown races. Well, that doesn't matter because he shouldn't have been in them. This Too seems long. fairly cut and dry. This owner has more clout than just about anyone in horse racing right now. Who Bob Baffert? Yeah, trainer, trainer, but, but nevertheless. I mean, they wanted to keep the horse in the race, so they dropped it out. It's horse racing. Who would notice? Absolutely. Two months after dismissing the Justify case, the California board changed the penalty for a failed scopolamine test from disqualification to a fine and a possible suspension. This is good from the California Horse Racing Board. Their statement, quote, We take seriously the integrity of horse racing in California and are committed to implementing the highest standards of safety and accountability for all horses, jockeys, and participants. What's the current count on number of horse deaths at the Santa Anita Raceway this year? It's in the 20s, right? Yes, it is. Sounds to me like the California Horse Racing Board takes things real seriously. Or not. How does that not stop after, like, four? It's a reasonable question. I don't know. I don't understand enough about horse racing to know the ins and outs. Hmm. Maybe the horse took it on his own. Possibly. In all seriousness, do you think the horse knows it's getting drug tested? Horse doesn't know anything. Do what? Like, how do you drug test a horse? I'm sure they take a blood sample. I mean, 
put them in a stall and they've got a couple of uh, just go up and draw blood. I mean, the same way that you would give a horse a shot. Yeah, they don't even really care. I mean, our, our dogs, when they're getting shots and blood drawn and stuff, they just kind of sit there and let you do it. So I imagine a horse would be similar. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I mean, think about how big and muscular a horse is. I mean, it's not like they're going to react to a small needle going in. I guess. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. So do we have... We, we don't have anything official yet from... Whether or not justifies being stripped of his triple crown title, do we? I mean, who's going to strip it? Didn't they? I mean, they voted to dismiss the. Well, that's California. I mean, that's the California Horse Racing Board. I mean, my guess is that the Kentucky Horse Racing Board. You got to remember the Kentucky Derby, whatever they were called, the Board of Governors or whatever, they disqualified a horse that won this year. And gave it to a different horse. Oh, yeah. The the stewards, I believe they were called. So you'll have the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission involved. You'll have the Maryland Horse Racing Commission involved. And I guess you'll have the New York Horse Racing Commission involved. Uh, ultimately. So we'll see where all this goes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. But, you know, like we've said about other things, if you saw it with your own eyes, can you really make it unhappen? Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad's off today. Let's jump on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. I told you earlier today that uh, Lee Sterling is coming off a really, really good weekend. Lee, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You didn't have the start to the year that you wanted, but you keep plugging, and then you get a weekend like you had last week. Yeah, they're, the first weekend there was just a lot of games that came down to the wire, and I found two games. And there's, I think, over 70 line games last week. We were able to to pinpoint that Oregon game against Nevada. Felt that Nevada was way overrated, and Oregon did a number on them, 77 to six. And then came back Sunday. I had to go against my Dolphins. I mean, when you're picking up guys on the waiver wire and starting them on the offensive line, two guys, and then on defense. You don't even play your best players, but more than 25 of the 75 plays they were involved in. Uh, I'll take the 59-10 win, uh, and I guess if I guess this is the biggest tank job we've seen in a long time. This might be the worst team we've seen in the NFL, in my opinion, going all the way back to maybe even the 76 expansion Tampa Bay Bucks. So it's possible when it's all said and done that the uh, the Dolphins could have claim to the best NFL team, the last one that went undefeated, and then maybe the worst as well. Right, right. So wow. they might be battling Tampa Bay, which went uh, winless that year. So we'll see. Goodness. Well, let's see if we can keep it rolling uh, this week. Right. Let's start out by talking about um, a game that I think is kind of fascinating. I think it is here in the state of yep. Mississippi. Mississippi State favored at home against Kansas State. Looks like Tommy Stevens is going to play. There was some question about that after the shoulder injury last week. Still dealing with the uncertainty of some suspensions for Mississippi State, but that's going to be a week-to-week thing that we're just having to deal right. with. And then you got a Kansas State team that has put points on the board in the last two weeks. 
Well, they, they finally settled on a quarterback last year. They were rotating quarterbacks all season, and I, I just think it's bad for the team. And then on top of that, one of my biggest plays last year was Mississippi State against Kansas State. And, and even in that 31-10 to 10 game, that was a beatdown. They physically manhandled Kansas State. And I think it was one of the reasons Bill Snyder stepped down. He realized he just his team didn't have it. And, and he didn't. He wasn't able to motivate his players. But in comes Chris Kleiman. This is a guy that's had a lot of success at the lower level. Uh, finally decided on a quarterback, and Skylar Thompson can throw the ball and seems to have a lot of confidence. The team's playing with more energy. They brought in Ball State transfer running back James Gilbert, and, and he's a force. And their defensive front seven is no joke. I mean, they only lost one guy off the team last year, and this is where they thrive. They love being the road underdog. They're 15-5 and five the last uh, 20 games in this setting. Give me Kansas State outright, 28-26. You think Kansas State goes into Starkville and gets the win? I think they got a real good shot. If I was wagering on this game, and I am, I have half on them plus seven and a half and half on the money line. Money line uh, pays almost three to one. All right. Uh, So that's pick number one this weekend. We've got a couple of SEC games. Last year, Kentucky finally snapped a skid that went all the way back to 83 in terms of winning against Florida. Florida's an eight-point favorite. And Kentucky is now without their starting quarterback in Terry Wilson. The, the, Sawyer Smith is not a bad backup. I mean, I thought he was going to end up winning the job, but I thought Wilson looked really good in, in both of the first two games, so give them credit. But I don't think the drop-off is going to be a whole lot. You know, they, they came to play last year. Kentucky did in that 27-16 to 16 win in Gainesville. But uh, people will judge them based on the look at the score, and they'll say, oh, there's not a whole lot of drop-off from last year's team. I, I thought Toledo had a chance to win that game until their starting quarterback went down in the third quarter of the opening week. Their game last week, they were playing a nobody. And I, I, Here's where I think Florida's going to go after Kentucky. Cash Daniel, this kid is really good in the run game as a linebacker. He can't cover anyone. He is slow. And, and Florida has three running backs out of the backfield to catch the ball, and that's the, that's the target I think they're going after here. I like Florida, 28-17. Florida, 28-17 over Kentucky. You, you mentioned the starter for Kentucky. He was formerly the starter at Troy. Troy is hosting Southern Miss this week. With Southern Miss, we've seen them get a win over a SWAC team in which they had a couple of special teams touchdowns. And then we yep. saw them move the ball some, but really kind of step on their own toes last week against Mississippi State. Obviously, they were outmanned by Mississippi right. State, but had some success. So what about this trip to Troy, Alabama that Southern Miss has got? Well, they're not able to push the ball down the field with with a whole lot of success against better talent. But against similar talent, I think they'll have a little better chance. Abraham, this guy is is accurate. 69% of his passes against Mississippi State. In fact, over 75% the last year and a half. Troy's a home favorite. You think of them as defending the home turf, but not great of late. Eight and thirteen, the last twenty-one as a home favorite. Have you seen this punt returner, kick returner, Jalen Adams for Southern Miss? He's good, really oh. good. Uh, I think he's one of the fastest guys I've ever seen. Reminds me uh, hey, and of Lee? some of the best we've seen in college and college football in the NFL. Uh, so I, I think he is a weapon. I think he's going to score five or six touchdowns this year and. Uh, I, I just think that Mississippi State speed was a little bit too much for Southern Miss last week, and Southern Miss may be a little more battle-tested than Troy with the new coaching staff. Give me Southern Miss, 
31-27, Southern Miss winning outright on the road. To your point about Jalen Adams just a second ago, maybe the MVP of the game last week for Mississippi State was Tucker Day, the punter, who did an unbelievable job kind of pinning Southern Miss back and taking the ball away from them in special teams. Well, you know what they say, speed kills. And then I, I, haven't, I, I don't know what his time is in the 40, but it can't be above a 4-3, I can tell you that. Alabama laying a big number on the road against Columbia. We, we keep looking at Alabama and seeing big lines and going, yeah, yeah, but can they get to that number? And they keep doing it. I know they didn't last week. What, 62-10, to 10, they win by 52 and don't cover. What about going on the road to South Carolina? Well, they're... The last time they went there in 2010, they lost. But the difference was Steve Spurrier was coaching the team, not Will Muschamp. You know, some guys are just better in certain roles. I think Will Muschamp is a good defensive coordinator and a, and a really good recruiter. He just, you know, he maybe stuck his foot in his mouth by saying he thought his team was really good this year. And, you know, the expectations, and especially now without a starting quarterback, it's going to be tough to live up to him. Jake Bentley would have a chance to keep the game close here. I just don't think that Tyler Helensky, it takes me every year three or four game tapes watching Alabama to figure out their blitz schemes. I don't think he's going to be able to do it. And this is a team South Carolina gave up 238 rushing yards to North Carolina. Just imagine what Bama's going to do. Someone's going to expose Bama. Might be LSU, but it's not going to be South Carolina. Roll Tide, 45-10. 45 to 10. That's uh, it's really not even all that close. Um, I, I'm sorry, not even all that close to the number. So, you, you, yeah, I mean, yes, I realize 45 to 10 is not close, not even close to the number. Um, you've got Carolina-Tampa Bay, which on the surface doesn't feel like a great game tonight as your game of the week. Why is that? They, if they want to get the game, I, I just think that, that one team will be more prepared looking at the talent. Looking at the matchups, uh, it's interesting. Got a lot, a lot of guys. Something to prove here, you know. You got uh, a player playing right now for for Carolina. Was one of the star defensive linemen, McCoy, for many years in Tampa Bay. So that'll be fun to watch. So you got to look at the subplots. They want to get the game. Just call eight hundred four hundred nine seven four one. Another game should be interesting. Should be uh, the Rams and Saints. I, 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 I think this is going to be a barn burner, but. Uh, the Saints might might be up against it. Uh, seeing a couple things on tape that don't have the the number of plays, uh, if you've seen film on them, that can continue to beat people, especially some good teams. So in a barn burner, I like the Rams there, something like forty-one to thirty-four, and we're going to try to keep rolling. We had uh, Oregon last week as our top play. They won seventy-seven to six over Nevada and Baltimore over my Dolphins, fifty-nine to ten. I found another game in college football. I think the line's off three touchdowns. So. If they want to get that game, just go to the website, ParamountSports.com, and also got a bunch of other videos. A great weekend in, in college football. You want to check out the Iowa Iowa State video, Michigan State, Arizona State, and how about the team that claims uh, they're the undisputed and uh, uh, I don't know what they want to claim as, as they're the national champion from a couple of years ago, Central Florida taking on Stanford. So just check out those videos, ParamountSports.com. All of them at Paramount Sports. Lee, we're out of time, but I am curious quickly. This is a weekend in the SEC where you look at it and there are a bunch of really, really big numbers 
Do you have a general rule when you look at games that are 30, 40 point spreads? Is it best just to Generally, stay away? I, I do stay away from those games, but last week, you know, I was on New Mexico State because look at Nick Saban's history. You know, if, if you can see patterns over a long period of time, you know, he's been there a long time. You know, when he gets up against these, these lesser teams, he takes out his starters. And if you play him, you might want to play the favorite in the first half and then play the other team uh, for the full game. So there are patterns, and, and Nick Saban, don't like him as a person, <laughs> especially what he did to the Dolphins and, and coming in here and swooping up all the four and five stars. But uh, betting for and against him, there's some great patterns for and against uh, Nick Saban, and I'm going to take advantage of him. All right, Lee, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Richard. Take care. That's Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. ParamountSports.com if you want to check out his work. A lot of good stuff there and maybe a chance for you to make some money back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, Glad to have you along. You can uh, text the show. I had a question about uh, whether or not Lee gave us a pick on the game tonight in the NFL. He did not give the pick on the air, but you can get that pick for free if you would like to. You can call his toll-free number at Paramount Sports, 1-800-400-9741. And if you check out the website, you can see all the different packages that he's got uh, they're offering for picks, if you want to buy picks and all that good stuff. Um. No games in college tonight. What do we have to go to week five before we get back to um, to college games on Thursday nights? Is that right, Borky? I think so. I'm glad we at least have something, though. Got the NFL. You do not have a single matchup this weekend involving ranked teams. It's kind of a bummer. But here's what's coming up. Tomorrow night, you can watch Washington State at Houston. Washington State is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in the game, and Gardner Minshew moves on. Anthony Gordon comes in through two two games. And these are just video game numbers. 60 of 74. 884 yards. Nine touchdowns. You think it's fun to be a quarterback in Mike Leach's offense? What has uh, Jared Garantano thrown for so far this year? I, I don't have his numbers in front of me. And Would you guess it'd be under 884 yards and nine touchdowns and only 14 incompletions on 74 passes? Yeah, I would guess that too. Yeah. So that is on average 30 of 37. <laughs> Just incredible. 442 yards and four and a half touchdowns. Ah, small sample size. Uh, they're doing something cool in Athens on Saturday. Arkansas State is visiting Georgia. Arkansas State's one and one. Georgia is encouraging its fans to wear pink to the game on Saturday in honor of Blake Anderson's late wife, Wendy. She had battled, battled breast cancer for a long time. It's kind of been part of their story. You've probably seen bits and pieces of that. And so Georgia, to promote breast cancer awareness and to honor her memory, is encouraging Bulldog fans to wear pink to the game on Saturday. It's a pretty cool gesture. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see the images from that. Yeah. 
Ohio State, Indiana is at 11 on Saturday. Pittsburgh and Penn State is at 11 also. By the way, Sean Clifford, the starter for uh, for Penn State, has been pretty good. 30 of 45, 559 yards, six touchdown passes. That Ohio State-Indiana line seems 18 points, right? But it seems low. Yeah, that was about what Ohio State was favored by against uh, Cincinnati last week. 142 to nothing. Smote Cincinnati. Yeah, that was that was the easiest pick of all time that I had last weekend. Maryland 2 and 0 at Temple. Maryland coming off a monster offensive game against Clemson and they're only a six and a half point favorite on the road in Philly for an 11 a.m. kickoff. But they had an 11 a.m. kickoff in that game last week as well. well it's 11 a.m. Central, so noon on the East Coast. New Mexico is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a big favorite there. Alabama, 25.5 point favorite against South Carolina. UCF, an 8.5 point favorite against Stanford. And this is the whole contrast in styles thing. UCF, even post Scott Frost, now with Josh Heupel, they're playing fast, they run it, they throw it, they're all over the place. Stanford does not. Um, Dylan Gabriel has overtaken Brandon Wimbush as the starter at UCF. They're off to a 2-0 start. Stanford got just blitzed in the second half by Southern Cal last week. This one's at 2.30 on ESPN. You think Larry Scott's going to be sitting up in his uh, multi-million dollar office in San Francisco hoping this game goes his way? Because this would be a huge hit in the credibility as if there's any left of the Pac-12. And maybe that's not really fair, but UCF, for example, when they played LSU, could not get it done. You have that recent history of the SEC with six starters out on defense for LSU took care of business against UCF. And the Pac-12 is reeling. People are I've even seen like national college football people joke that it's a power four instead of a power five now. I mean, the Pac-12's reputation is in the in the tank. And if one of their bell cows goes to UCF and loses, not a good look. All as unfair as that is. I mean, UCF winning that game is not an upset. No. I mean, they're a big favorite. If Stanford wins, it will be the upset. Optically, Southern though. Cal- Do what now? Optically, though. Not yeah. that way. Southern Cal goes to BYU. BYU lost in the opener to BYU. I'm sorry, to Utah. And then one last week in overtime against Tennessee in Knoxville. Southern Cal's a four-point favorite on the road. One of the better games this weekend, Arizona State at Michigan State. They're both 2-0. and Michigan State's a big favorite in this game. Herm Edwards has done a better job than anybody gave him credit for when he was hired two years ago. Present I mean, it company was one included. joke. So, oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was one joke after another after another about him going, I don't know about the whole Sun Devil Digest thing. I'm a good Catholic boy. and That was really bad, though. It was, but that's just Herm. He is apparently really, really good with parents in the recruiting process. And I've always thought that that's a place where there's just not really an excuse for Arizona State 
not being good. They don't have a huge stadium, but they've got a nice stadium. They've got a massive student body. They're in the greater Phoenix area. There's a lot to recruit to at Arizona State, especially when you're recruiting, uh, recruiting young, impressionable boys slash men. It's a fairly attractive environment to uh, go to school. Michigan State, though, a 15-point favorite in that game. Iowa's a two-point favorite against Iowa State, playing in Ames. That's where game day will be. Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley's been good so far this year, six touchdown passes. And then you got a bunch of games that are just, eh. Idaho State at Utah, Kent State at Auburn. Auburn's a 36-point favorite in that game. Florida's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite at Kentucky. Uh, Lamar at Texas A&M. Clemson at Syracuse. That one's at 6.30 on ABC. Clemson, big favorite, 27-and-a-half points. Northwestern State at LSU. Hawaii goes to Washington. Washington trying to bounce back after the loss, excuse me, the loss last week at home to Cal. Washington, 21.5-point favorite against 2-0 Hawaii. Florida State and Virginia on the ACC Network on Saturday night. Seminoles are 1-1. Survived in overtime against ULM last week. UVA 2-0 and pretty impressive so far this year. By the way, Cam Akers through two games for Florida State has three touchdowns on the ground and 309 yards. Oklahoma at UCLA. Oklahoma, big favorite, 23.5 points. Jalen Hurts through two games has seven incompletions. He's 34 of 41 for 591 yards and six touchdowns and is the leading rusher on Oklahoma's team. 24 carries, 223 yards, and three touchdowns. So he is responsible for 700 and about 15 yards of total offense. That's not right. 815 yards of total offense and nine touchdowns through two games. Would you have believed two years ago entering Chip Kelly's first year at UCLA that by the end of year two he'd be out? Because that's what's going to happen here. Can UCLA afford to do that? You would hope so, right? They owe him $9 million to get rid of him. I mean, you saw the stadium picture last weekend, didn't you? It's almost like you got to spend money to make money, and if they can't continue putting 9,000 people in the Rose Bowl, they will lose more by keeping him than the $9 million that they owe him. Is that what the actual number was, was 9,000? Not actual, but that's looking at the picture. And the, the saddest part about it, and the stadium's an hour from campus, so it's not really fair, but they have the student section literally blocked out, so you can see exactly where it was supposed to be. There was a point in the game when there was seven people in the student section. Gracious. Texas is at Rice, trying to bounce back after the tough loss to LSU at home last week. Portland State is at Boise State. Portland State gave Arkansas a little bit of a scare. Hank Bachmeyer, quarterback for Boise State, closing in on 700 yards through two games. And Montana, who's 2-0, is at Oregon. Oregon coming off the really big win against Nevada last week. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Those are the games involving top 25 teams this weekend. No ranked versus ranked anywhere in the country. We're back after this with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
tough day to be Clayton Richard. Or maybe maybe it's Richard. Left-handed pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's his birthday. And at 9.03 this morning, the Toronto Blue Jays, on their official Twitter account, tweeted this. Retweet to wish CR3s a happy 36th birthday. Have a great day, lefty. They put a birthday cake, a balloon, and a gift wrap box emoji on there. That was at 9.03 this morning. Six hours and 17 minutes later, Toronto Blue Jays, official Twitter account. Roster move. We've reinstated right-handed pitcher Elvis Luciano from the 60-day IL. To make room, left-handed pitcher Clayton Richard, or Richard, has been released. Yikes. Tough day to be driving the social media account. Maybe you just do what you were told. It's a business, right? 12-year career, $20 million in earnings. I think he'll be okay. You don't feel bad for him? Not Is it Richard or Richard? Richard. Okay. Um, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395. That's the ceasefire text line time for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. It's been a rough couple of days on these. A couple of bad baseball picks in a row. Um, so let's go to the NFL tonight. I mean, I feel like there's only one play here. And we talked about the fact that a touchdown is a big number in the NFL. But Carolina at home on a Thursday night. And I trust Cam Newton more than I trust Jameis Winston. So we'll lay the seven points and take Carolina minus seven at home for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. I'm not in love with that. You guys think I'm crazy there? No, that's what I I picked on my little app. It's just hard to get a finger on it. I just know that Jameis Winston is not very good. He wasn't good last week. He wasn't good last season. He hasn't been good for a while and I just cannot, in good conscience, select a a bad quarterback on the road in division. Just nothing about that screams go that side. And, and the public money's all on the Panthers, and the line has moved a lot. But still, it's Jameis Winston on the road in a division game. That doesn't go well lately. I don't necessarily disagree, but Cam Newton is also wildly frustrating and inconsistent. Yeah, that's... Um... I keep. To, I've got family that are Panthers fans that live in Charlotte, and I tell them they all love Cam Newton there, and I get why because he's the quarterback of their team. But you're never going to win anything big with him. He got to a Super Bowl. That's the ceiling. There's just something about him. He's wild, like Rippy said, inconsistent. Orky, the ceiling is the roof. The ceiling is the roof. They did go 15 and one, though. They did. ESPN's football power index gives. Carolina, a 69% chance to win the game. 69% chance to win the game. That's actually lower than I would think. That's just, that's not, that's winning it outright. Yeah. 69.1%, 30.6% for Tampa Bay. That's the matchup predictor from ESPN's FPI. Speaking of that, did you go ahead? I just, I know college is different, but what Ole Miss was. 
between five and seven last week, the spread was. And FPI on ESPN gave them 80%, almost 81. Hmm. Jameis Winston threw week one, 20 of 36, 194 yards, a touchdown, three picks. Cam Newton was 25 of 38 for 239 and an interception. And the Christian week McCaffrey had a big game. He, he had 19 carries for 128 yards, two touchdowns, and also 10 catches for 81 yards. He's good. Sorry, Borky, go ahead. Yeah, it, very similar to, to Kamara and, and what they bring to the table, their skill sets, catching the ball out of the backfield and stuff like that. Uh, on the, the quarterback thing, the numbers last week, the opponents were uh, dramatically different. Uh, Carolina, even though it was at home, did have to play the Rams and the best, at least talent-wise, defense in the league. Carolina lost that game 30-27, to and the Bucks lost 31-17 in their opener. So Pearl River Resort pick of the day, Carolina minus seven. I think that's where the number is. It's gone from six and a half to seven. So we'll see how that one uh, plays out tonight. You can watch that 720 kickoff on NFL Network. College Football Fix is coming up next. Forbes has released its most valuable college football programs in much the same way they release most valuable professional franchises. Obviously, these are not entities that are owned, but if they were, what Forbes says they would be worth. We will look at those when we come back. We'll visit with uh, Mike Frazier from JUCO Weekly a little bit later in the 5 o'clock hour as well. We're back right after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Thursday afternoon. Weekend just around the corner. Hey, Dad is off today. He'll be back with us tomorrow afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, maybe you're thinking about buying a piece of recreational property, a spot where you can hunt or fish or just kind of get away and chill out, or maybe you're going to build a house in the country, let Mississippi Land Bank help. They understand um, what you're trying to do, how you're trying to go about it. They've got products in place that can help you with that, and they're good people, uh, easy to deal with and uh, honest people to deal with. Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But don't stop there. Take advantage of great savings on really the whole line of trucks at Ford that fall under the F-150 umbrella. Specifically, you can get uh, a great deal on the F-150 XLT model right now. 2019 models where in addition to savings on just buying the truck, you can get a complimentary upgrade on a bed liner, either spray-in or drop-in, and uh, leather. So it's a pretty significant savings there. Get the leather upgrade and the bed liner upgrade at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. We know that winning in football has a direct correlation 
with money raised. And Clemson is the latest example. In 2007, athletic contributions at Clemson were $14.1 million. They went 9-4 and four that year. Following year, they went 7-6, and 13.5 million. And from 2007 through 2012, Clemson ranged between 13.5 and 16.7 million dollars in contributions. In 2012, they went 11 and two, and the following year they raised 19.3 million dollars. In 2013, they went 11 and two, and the following year raised 19.7 million dollars. In 2014, they went 10 and three. And then in 2015, 14-1 lost in the national championship game. And revenue, I'm sorry, donations for Clemson Athletics went from $19.7 million in 2014 to $35.4 million in 2015. In 2016, they went 14-1, won the national championship game, raised $33.6 million. 2017, they went 12 and 2, raised $40.3 million. And last year, they won the national championship game, and it'll be interesting to see where they are in terms of fundraising. But a direct correlation to winning at the highest level and a massive increase in donations. Not surprising. What about the rest of the top 25? Forbes with a lead to the story, says, so much for amateur athletics. College football's 25 most valuable programs combine to earn an average of $1.5 billion in profit on annual revenues of $2.7 billion. That is a better than 50% profit rate, which is staggering. I mean, if you were in the business world, you you would use a term like EBITDA, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, I think. Very limited business background, but I think that's what EBITDA stands for. So it's a really, really big number. It's over 50%. Here's a three-year running average to give you the top 25 most valuable programs in college football. How about this? Clemson, this is a three-year average, remember, is number 25. Does that surprise you? Very much so. Say what? Very much so. Uh, Actually kind of blown away by that. Three-year average revenue of $77 million. Three-year average profit of $27 million. 25th in the country. On the opposite end of the spectrum, number one is Texas A&M. A three-year average football revenue of $147 million and a three-year average profit of $94 million for the Texas A&M football program. Now, in some cases, some of these donations are tied to stadium expansions or whatever. But even in that case, you're looking at revenue versus profit. 
$94 million in profit for A&M on average over the last three years. Texas is second with an average profit of $92 million on $147 million in revenue, so identical revenue to Texas A&M. Michigan is number three. Alabama is the highest-rated SEC team, a three-year average in revenue of $134 million. Their average profit is $61 million. Let's just look at the SEC teams. Georgia, seventh in the country, $125 million, $74 million in profit. Florida, $117 million, $69 million in profit. Auburn, 117, 65. LSU, 114, 73 million in profit, three year average. Tennessee has a three year profit average of $59 million. That's 12th best in the entire country. Not getting results that correlate with that money right now. South Carolina and Arkansas are tied. Three-year average of $95 million in revenue for football with $53 million in profits. Those numbers are identical at South Carolina and Arkansas. Interestingly, those two teams came into the SEC at the exact same time, both in 1992. There is one more SEC team in the top 25 in terms of average revenue and average profit. Ole Miss has a three-year average of football revenue of $84 million. And over the course of three years, the previous three years, so this is 15, 16, 17 we're looking at, $43 million average in profit. Okay. So a couple of things that jump out here. Number one, Clemson, who's number 25, just behind Ole Miss, is going to move up this list because, again, we're talking about a three-year average and donations way up in the last three years at Clemson, 15, 16, 17. So when you roll that to 16, 17, and 18, and then 17, 18, and 19, Clemson will make a big jump. Ole Miss is likely to fall out of that top 25 because, again, you're talking about 15, 16, and 17, not where Ole Miss is currently because their profits are going down and their revenue is going down currently because of ticket sales issues and whatnot. I was surprised they cracked the top 25, though. I was looking at that list. I think Ravel put it out, and I was just going through it, and then I got to Ole Miss. I was pretty shocked. Because even though that, it, you got the three-year average, but two of those years, one, they just missed a bowl game, and the next one you had the freeze debacle and then a postseason ban mix into that and still found their way into the top 25. Yeah, to me, I could be wrong, but like hate indifferent on Hugh Freeze, like the impact he made to like financially and all that to the school and all that is pretty undeniable. I mean, that whole three-year run, I, that was even surprising to me. Yeah. That'll buy a lot of dental chairs. <laughs> I don't think Ole Miss is footing the bill for those. Don't think so. Um, three main sources of revenue for college football programs television rights, tickets, and contributions. And the television rights includes NCAA and conference distributions. So it could be postseason revenue in there as well. 
And that's one reason that Ole Miss's number is going to fall, because they're 8 million shy for last year and this coming year. And it's going to cause those numbers to fall. On average, 29% of the revenue for a college football team comes from its television deal, 27% from ticket sales, and 26% from contributions. I should know this because I've written about it before, but I don't remember now because it's been a couple months. When do they get X amount of money back? Five years. Okay. From when the penalties were handed down. So the penalties were handed down last year, right? 2018? Yeah. So it'd be 2023. Okay. So while. Uh, assuming no additional. Um, you stay out of trouble between now and then. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, let me clean up the numbers I was giving you at the end for Ole Miss and the the money that they will get back from the SEC. So as part of their probation and ineligibility in the postseason, they missed on the, the, there was a 50% reduction. I'm sorry, back up. They were not eligible for revenue associated with the postseason. So they missed out on postseason football revenue for the previous two years. They're obviously off of the postseason ban now, but the SEC pays a year behind, if that makes sense. And so this spring, I guess it's in May, when the SEC distributes the big check, the 40 to $45 million, Ole Miss's check will be $8 million, roughly lighter than if they were getting the full share like everybody else. After five years, if you've had no additional penalties and are not on any other additional probation, then you are eligible to get half of that money back. So... Probation officially ends for Ole Miss in November of 2020, and Ole Miss is scheduled, assuming they don't get in any more trouble between now and then, to receive half of the SEC postseason revenue back in December of 2022, which will equate to a check for about $8 million. From five years from now, from ranging from a drop in the bucket to like a wet-your-pants type donation, where does that fall? $8 million? In the terms of a one-year thing. Because what, the entire budget was like $120 million, isn't that right, for Ole Miss? Ish. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what... So that's not nothing, but not... $8 million on its own was... um, Okay, I've messed this up. So I, I guess I've gotten... I've gotten my years confused. Yet last year was the second year of the financial penalties. Whenever it does so, happen. so this year Ole Miss will get the full right, the full check, which is good. So they're not having to go through another year of that. I guess what I'm asking when they get the eight million back, how big of an additional boost is that? I know that's a subjective question, but but you're digging yourself out of a hole, regardless. And so if I hand you a check for eight million and You've been in the hole. Fair enough. And, and look, when you look at these Forbes lists or the USA Today database, different schools use different accounting methods. And so, you know, the way Ole Miss figures 
exactly where their revenue and expenses are in comparison to how Mississippi State does it, in comparison to how LSU does it, versus Alabama, versus Auburn, versus Michigan. Not everybody's doing it exactly the same way. Um, the USA Today story that came out a, a couple of months back and we talked about showed Ole Miss operating in a deficit. So, to your point, does $8 million matter? Heck yeah, it matters. A lot. Uh, yeah, I wasn't suggesting that it doesn't. I just, in a one-year period, five years down the road, I was just wondering how much of a... My, my guess is if somebody, if if Ryan Scott Rip, if you hit it big, let's let's say you cashed in all your Facebook stock that you had from the day they went public, and all of a sudden you're worth $500 million, just playing with numbers here. It sounds realistic. And you decided that you wanted to write a check to Ole Miss for $8 million, it would be one of the largest single donations that has ever been given to the athletics department. One of. It wouldn't be the biggest, I don't think, but it would certainly be one of the biggest. And a big piece of that money that Ole Miss gets back will go toward trying to rebuild that rainy day fund or the reserve funds that they've had to really dig into in the last couple of years. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. You can connect with us that way. Um, this one says, Hey, Borky, Clemson's athletic budget is $100 million below even Mississippi State, among others. Big money is so recent. Love the show as always. That's from Jimmy in Hattiesburg. And everybody in the ACC is about to get a boost, they hope, with the launch of the ACC Network. Dan in Charleston. Those numbers tell me why Southern Miss can't compete anymore. Dan, it's the cold, hard reality of where we are in college athletics right now. And it's not fun to talk about if if you're if you're not in the group that's got great big pocketbooks. And frankly, it's part of the reason that, to me, it's so impressive that a school like Southern Miss or other schools that are comparable in terms of budget can compete at all. I mean, Southern Miss went 6-5 and five last year. They missed out on a bowl game. What, likely to win seven or eight games this year? Be back in the postseason? That's a really respectable product on the field. But most of their opponents are operating in a similar playing field. Southern Miss is really in the bottom half of even Conference USA. I mean, I, th- I think the budget at Southern Miss is about $24 million. Which was Old near Dominion, the bottom of com- all of them. Do what now? It was near the bottom of everybody, not Conference USA. It was near the, the bottom. Really? Yeah. I mean, Old Dominion, another school that Southern Miss is now competing with, had a budget that was approaching $50 million. And it's just hard. How do you fix that? You want to know I'm the... I'm afraid... I, I, I mean, if, if I'm being completely honest here... You don't? I don't think there's a way to fix it. I think you do the best that you can with what you've got. And you have to do 
absolutely everything you can to hire good people and and hope that they stay, but understand that you're going to have to continually hire good people. And Scott Berry is a great example. Scott Berry makes a good living coaching baseball. He's been extremely successful of, about it uh, in, in the way that he's gone about running that program. They make no excuses. They've got a really nice facility. Baseball's a little bit different, but they're able to mix a combination of junior college guys and going out and kind of finding some diamonds in the rough. There's great baseball in that part of the state of Mississippi, but baseball's a different animal. And it's just hard. Jay Hobson, good football coach, doing the best they can from a recruiting standpoint. But it kind of goes back to the conversation that we were having with um, with Luke on Monday, or maybe it was Tuesday, where you just have to realize that it's different than it used to be. There's always been a disparity in budget size, but the disparity between Southern Miss's budget of $24 million and Alabama's of, what, $180 million now? Didn't used to be that big. And it's because predominantly of television. It's predominantly because of television. And the SEC is going to continue to get big checks from ESPN and whoever else, whether it's CBS going forward or Fox or ABC, ESPN, or some streaming company. And the Big Ten is going to continue to get big checks. The ACC is going to continue to get big checks. And Conference USA is going to have to scrap and claw for whatever it can get. Hopeful that the value of live games continues to stay strong. I mean, they redid the TV deal, and it was a good one a couple of years ago, or last year. Good, at least in the sense of it was an increase over where they were. And you do the best you can. You, you try to hire good people. You may have to try to hire young people who are on their way up. You got to be a great steward of what you've got. You got to figure out a way to make your resources go far. And you just got to, it's a hard deal. I mean, the previous athletics director uh, at Southern Miss, John Gilbert, he left Southern Miss to go to East Carolina. East Carolina is not, in terms of budget, up there with SEC schools or ACC schools. They're an American Conference school. But it's about double the budget of what he was working with. And that makes it easier. And and that's why when we talk about conference you, uh, realignment, you're always looking, okay, is there is there a scenario, is there an opportunity, is there somewhere where Southern Miss can improve its lot? Because a lot of the teams that it was a conference mate with in Conference USA just five, eight, ten years ago are either in the American Conference or in the case of TCU that was there for a little while, they're now in the Big 12. So you're trying to move up. It's just hard to do that. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.